Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. continue in our series this morning on just, I'm kind of walking through looking at the church of Acts and what can we learn from them? What have they done? What can we as a church grow into so we can strengthen each other? We can walk together and see, it's not just about the miracles that happened. It was how the church lived life. And so this morning, I want to talk about strengthening each other. Have you guys ever watched, and you'll see it now especially, geese flying in a V-shape? Geese, when they fly together, they're as strong as a skein. The V-shape is called a skein. This is how they fly. And it's interesting how wonderful God created them to do this. See, studies have revealed that the geese fly in a V-shape formation when they're um, migrating And this serves for several purposes. It's not just so that we can think that it's cool. It's not just so Disney can make a movie. All right? See, most of you, if if you are around my age, when you think of the flying V, you immediately think of Mighty Ducks. Right? Anybody younger, if you haven't watched Mighty Ducks yet, actually, I should probably process, is that a good movie to suggest? I can't remember what the language was like. I'm amazed at what movies when we were younger, and you're like, this is a kid's movie, and then you go to watch it with kids, and you're like, oh. (laughs) Not sure how this was a kid's movie. So I think Mighty Ducks is okay. Parents, I haven't seen it in a really long time. I see some parents nodding, so I'm banking that your understanding of what I'm trying to say is accurate. So it's a great movie, The Flying V. If you don't understand it, you got to go watch it. I'm not even going to take time to explain it. It's great. The V formation, though, is just like in hockey. I'm surprised there's not a team that actually tried this. Let's be honest, Maple Leaf fans, in Game 7 of any playoff, you want to see them at least try a flying V to try to turn some something around. (laughs) The V formation improves, because this is why. The efficiency over, now here's the problem, see, long migrating routes. See, the the Leafs just want to go south and play hockey. I mean, play golf. Um, The formation conserves its energy. I got to move on before I really upset some people. The formation conserves their energy. Each bird flies slightly higher than the bird that is in front of him, resulting in a reduction of the wind resistance. Each bird flies in the upwash of the wind of the bird in front. Each bird has a reduction of drag and they increase their range by 71%. They fly 71% farther because they fly together. The bird flying at the tip and the front of the route in a timely cycle. So one guy's not there the whole time. They rotate. The V formation conserves on energy and efficiency and energy consumption 
As the bird flaps, the air rolls off the wingtip and creates a downwash, and the air behind it pushes upward. And if you observe the flight pattern, almost always one side of the V is longer than the other. See, the lead bird, he tires more quickly, so it rotates to the back. And then the next one comes up. This is how they fly together. This is why they're in that formation. If a goose falls out of position in the V formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance, and the goose will quickly return to the proper formation. See, here's the difficulty as us as Christians. When we do life together, when you're connected and when you're engaged with one another in community, when you're plugged into a small group and you have people with you, if you step out of that relationship, if you step out of that formation, if you step out of that accountability, you will feel the drag. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm learning. Geese are smarter than us. Because they pick up on the drag faster than we do. See, what happens is you begin in your Christian life to enter a season where life is going okay. And then you start to believe that you can do this on your own. But what you don't realize is some of the percentage of your walk with God is actually carried by other people around you. You're encouraged. You're lifted up. You're able to enter God's presence with other people even when you don't feel like it because they enter it. See, what happens is we get out of formation, but we actually believe we're okay. We can handle it on our own. We're strong enough. And then we begin to realize we're not as strong as what we think. Just some things that we can learn from geese. Geese can fly a great distance by teamwork. You and I can get more done when we work together, when we strengthen one another. See, here's the interesting thing when you think of teamwork. I think what happens sometimes in the Christian realm, in the Christian uh, church, when people are together in the family, what we hope for is somebody to strengthen us. And where we get hurt and offended is when somebody doesn't strengthen us. None of us want to take our turn at the tip. None of us want to take the turn of breaking the wind for other people. To be the strong person out front. To hold them up. To strengthen them. We live in a society where it's all about us. So, hey, so-and-so is going through a hard time. Can you go and just spend some time with them? Well, do they know what I'm going through? Nobody asked me. I don't think anybody even cares. These are thoughts that get planted in our head by the enemy because what happens is we're not plugged in with people. People. 
When was the last time you asked somebody else how they were doing, wanting to hear how they were genuinely doing, how their life was going, without wanting them to ask you in turn so you could spill everything to them? When you think about that process, and I believe lots of us are guilty of that, myself included, how selfish is that? That I say to you, hey, how are you, how are you doing? How was your week? When genuinely inside, I don't care. I just want you to ask me. Because my week was worse than yours. How do I know my heart on this? Because I'll ask people how their week is, they'll tell me, and then they'll walk away. And they won't ask me how my week was. And then I'm deeply hurt and offended and I realize my motive of asking you was actually very selfish. Are we willing to fly in front of each other, to do life in front, to strengthen somebody behind us so that they can actually make it to the destination where they are called to be? And then by investing that time, investing that energy when I'm tired and I need to drift to the back for just a little bit, there's others to help me. I had a pastor once say this. If you want friends, be friendly. I know it's a rocket science statement. If you want friends, be friendly. You want somebody to say hi to you? Have you said hi to anybody? Well, Chad, I'm really shy and quiet. I kind of stick to myself. That's why you're kind of by yourself. We can go farther, we can do more by teamwork. See, here's the thing. The other thing is this. Geese stay together to protect and support each other. When geese grow tired and of flying, their unity supports each other and they land. When was the last time you were on a family trip, vehicle full of everybody, and you're driving along, and one person says, I really need to pee. <laughs> now, I think for all the dads in the room, we've all probably responded the same way. How bad? <laughs> but when we're on a trip, we don't slow down at the en route, open the door and say, tuck and roll, we'll catch you on the way back. We stop together. When was the last time your week stopped? When was the last time your day stopped? Because somebody needed your help. See, when we pray and ask God to use us, when we pray and ask God to step into our lives, we want, God, we want to hear you. We want to pour into other people's lives. Use us. For some reason, he interrupts our day. He doesn't just 
necessarily always use us on the right path. He interrupts. He redirects. When was the last time? See, if you listen to most birds fly, they don't make any sounds. Hummingbirds make sounds, but that's just because their wings are so crazy fast. But when most birds fly, they don't say anything. But have you ever heard geese fly over? How do you know they're flying over? Honk, 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 honk. Right? You're like, okay, let's just stop talking. Let them fly over for a bit. But they honk very very loudly to encourage each other to keep up their speed and altitude. It helps guide them and direct them. Who do you have in your life cheering you on? Or maybe I should flip that question. Who are you cheering on? Who are you coming alongside and honking at? Who are you coming alongside saying, keep going, you can do it. You'll make it. I believe in you. You have this. You know what? You're a great dad. Keep going. Don't give up. I know it feels almost hopeless at the moment. I know you're tired. But keep going. Who are you cheering on? I almost sense that some of you right now are like, well, no one's cheering me on. Start cheering others on. Do for somebody else what you wish somebody was doing for you. Cheer each other on. Strengthen one another. Geese are very loyal. They mate for life. Geese are so protective that often if a goose mate dies, they refuse to mate again. How loyal are you? Can I tell you something? One of the things that the Bible talks about, and it's because it happens in the church, talks about gossip. Here's the thing I learned in my life. If somebody will gossip to me, about somebody else. Do you want to know what they probably do with that person when I'm not around? They probably gossip about me. Are we loyal? Are we loyal to each other? Do we lift each other up? Do we encourage one another even when we're not there? We talk as staff, we talk about how we can disagree in our offices, but once we come out, we have to be unified. And I remember when I first moved here, somebody came into my office and they were just talking to me about the church, talking to me about, you know, some things that maybe that they didn't like. And I was like, oh, this feels weird. And then all of a sudden they mentioned Pastor Charles's name. And immediately... 
My response was this. Oh, I'm so sorry. You are in the wrong office. His office is two doors over. Do you want me to see if he's available? And they quickly were like, no, sorry. Yeah, no, that's not what I meant. How much would you love it if you knew that the person sitting beside you had your back that much? Spouses, what if, what if the only thing your friends heard was how great your spouse is? Kids, what if, what if all your friends thought your parents were the best because all you talked about was how amazing your parents are? Parents, What if your kids knew that they were the best because all they knew was how much you bragged about them? We lift one another up. We be loyal. See, they learned naturally that we are stronger together than we are separate. Here's the amazing thing. When a goose starts to go down, He may be sick. He may be wounded. Two geese drop with them. They drop out of formation. They descend to follow the hurt goose down to help the sick goose. Those two geese will stay with the goose until it dies or it gets better and they're able to fly and then they catch up. How many of you are willing to step out of your plants to help somebody else? How many of you are ready to pause life, pause your plans to go, you know what? This person needs some help. See, Ecclesiastics 4.12 tells us this. The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, God put into scripture what he ingrained into nature. God put into scripture for us what he actually just put into animals. That they know. We are stronger together. I remember when I was in grade 10, it was a long time ago. We went to play in the rugby championship. And the team we were playing beat us earlier that year. By just a little bit, they won 25 nothing. <laughs> just a small, just, just a little bit. By the time of halftime of that championship game, the score was 0-0. And I don't know if many of you know rugby, but we had quite a few goal line stands where they were right on our goal line and we stopped them from going in and they had to back up and try and just constant. But during the season, between the time we lost to them and the time of the championship game, what we worked hard on was playing together, playing as a team. And at halftime, as we were walking off the field, 
We were exhausted because we had to stand the ground so long, so hard. But as we were walking off the field, we could hear that team yelling at each other. They were yelling at each other and just saying this, just give me the ball, I'll score. No, give me the ball, I will push it through. They were yelling at each other and just wanting the ball for themselves. So our captain called us together and he said this, he's guys, listen, listen to them. We have them exactly where we want them. They are not playing together. See, what we learned was it didn't matter who got the try. For those that don't follow rugby, that's also you could classify as a touchdown. It's when you score. We didn't care who scored. We just cared that we scored. See, if you scored, we scored. If we scored, you scored. We won that game 5 nothing by one try. The person who got the try never got one any other time. When we work together, we shouldn't care who scores. We shouldn't care who gets the compliment. We shouldn't care who gets the praise. We strengthen one another. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, last week we talked about finding two or three people that will pray with you, encourage you. You also need two or three people to kick you, to spur you on. Think about the old westerns when you see the cowboys wearing the spurs. That's what we're talking about. Spurring one another on. It's not a love tap. It's not a back rub. As I said earlier, we need to cheer each other on, but then there's also a time where you need to spur one another on. Do you have somebody in your life that will look you dead in the eyes and with the most love that they have, look at you and say, you're an idiot. Because if we're all honest, every one of us in this room can be an idiot. If you're not nodding yes, your spouse is for you. (laughs) But here's what you have to realize. If you can own the fact that you can be an idiot, you can be a jerk, you can be selfish, it's going to help you in life. Do you know that I know that most of the difficulties that Melissa and I have might have in our marriage, and I know we're pastors, so we don't have any. Here's what I understand. A hundred percent of the time, I can only change me. One hundred percent of the time. So guess who I work on to improve my home life? Guess who I have people in my life to kick? Not her. I have people in my life to kick me. 
Because any relationship that I have, it can be work, it can be friends, it can be family, it can be spouse, it can be kids. The only person that I can change is me. If we're not working on us, if we don't have people in our lives to correct us, because let's be honest, if the only person in your life to correct you is your spouse, that ain't good. You need people, as you share loyalty, understand me because we talked about loyalty, that you share with about a struggle that you're going through. Understand, I can share a struggle I'm going through without tearing anybody down. And in those moments, you need to have people in your life that's going to spur you on, that's going to correct you. Because see, Hebrews 10, 24 or sorry, Proverbs 27, 17, it says this, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. So those two or three people that you need to have in your life, they need to sharpen you. But here's the thing, this is why you have to be careful who you pick. For that person to sharpen me, they actually need to be iron. Somebody that doesn't have it together can't sharpen me. Respectfully, I don't go and find somebody whose marriage is falling apart or having trouble to speak into my life about marriage. I find somebody who I look at and say their marriage is successful. They've gone through hard times. They've gone through difficult times. They're the ones that I want to pour into my life. One day, I hope to be that for somebody else. Here's the thing. My marriage just has to be a step ahead of yours. Your marriage just has to be a step ahead of somebody's. Because here's the thing. So too often in the church do we go, well, I can't help somebody. Yes, you can. Because here's the thing. The moment that I'm helping somebody when it comes to their kids, when it comes to their relationship with their wife, when it comes to work, anything like that, do you want to know what immediately happens in my life? I get better in that area. Because I'm reminded of all the things I already know but I got too lazy and selfish to do. Am I the only one? I am? Okay. <laughs> that was perfect. I loved it. We need people in our lives to hold us accountable, to sharpen us, to push us, to spur us on. Because how many of you like me can just get tired? When I get tired, I need people to spur me on. I need those loud geese in my life cheering me on. You can do it. You can make it. Here's what some of you need to hear. It's worth it. No matter what it is, 
whether it's work, friendship, kids, marriage, whatever it is, you need to hear this morning, it's worth it. It's worth it. In the end, the hard work, it's worth it. Pinball Clemens, he spoke at our conference and he said this to us. We're talking about spurring each other on. This is what he said. If you're the smartest person in the room, it's your own fault. Invite people in. Let them strengthen you while you look to strengthen others. See, the church is supposed to strengthen each other. Exodus 7 says this in verse 8 to 13. The Amalekites came to attack the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of the men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As soon as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. When you're in a battle, when you're fighting to do the right thing, when you're just trying to make it through, when you're trying to persevere, who is there to help you in those moments when you don't have the strength? You need an Aaron and a Her. You need to be an Aaron and a Her. This is what the church is for. This is what small groups are for. If you're not plugged into a small group, you are a goose flying by itself. That's why it seems so hard. Because we lift each other up. We look after each other. See, we need people in our lives like Paul had. Acts 9, 23, 25. After many days had gone by and there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept a close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. See, this is right after Saul gets converted to Paul. This is right. He's still known as Saul. He's in Damascus. This is where he's learning and hanging out with the disciples. But he starts sharing right away. And some of the Jews know who he is. He came here to kill us. We should kill him. Great church atmosphere. When Saul was in trouble, he had friends that found a hole in the wall and lowered him in a basket out. You need friends in your life that are going to help you get out of trouble. A good friend is the one that leaves church and takes the same route home as you and sees a cop sitting on the side of the road and calls you and says, there's a cop right here. Should I have said that? That's a good friend. <laughs> you need friends in your life that are going to help you in those times of trouble. 
We need friends and people in our lives that will sharpen us, cheer us on, and spur us on. It was October 20th, 1968, Mexico City, the Olympic Stadium, and it was 7 p.m. The closing ceremonies had just been completed. The closing ceremonies had just been completed. The spectators and the athletes were still warm from the excitement of the celebration, were gathering their belongings to leave the stadium. When all of a sudden the announcer asked them to remain in their seats, down the boulevard came a whine of a siren. From their vantage point, many in the stadium could see motorcycles with their flashing blue lights encircling someone, making his way towards the stadium. Whoever it was, he was moving slowly. Everyone remained seated to see the last chapter of the Olympics take place. By the time the police escort got to the stadium, the public announcer addressed them and said that the final marathon marathoner would be making his way into the arena and around the track to the finish line. Confusion was evident among the crowd. The last marathoner came in hours ago to the point where the medals had already been awarded. Not only were the medals already awarded, the final ceremonies were done. What had taken this man so long? But the first sight of the runner making his way out of the turn and onto the track told the whole story. John Stephen Accordi from Tanazia, covered with blood, hobbled into the light. He had taken a horrible fall early in the race, whacked his head, damaged his knees, and endured a trampling before he could get back to his feet. There he was, over 40 kilometers later, stumbling his way to the finish line. The response of the crowd was so overwhelming, it was almost frightening. They encouraged Stephen through the last few meters of his race. with a thundering ovation that far exceeded the one given to the man who hours earlier had come in first. When John Stephen crossed the finish line, he collapsed into the arms of medical personnel who immediately whisked him off to the hospital. The next day, John Stephen appeared before sports journalists to field their questions about his extraordinary feat. The first question was the one any of us would have asked. Why? Why, after sustaining the kinds of injuries you did, would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line when there was no way you could possibly place in the race? John Stevens said this, my country did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start a race. They sent me over 11,000 kilometers to finish one. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance something for you to do. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Many of you just need people to come alongside you and cheer you on. Many people in this room need you to come alongside them and cheer them on. 
Hebrews, 2, or Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This morning, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be a church that strengthens one another or discourages one another? So you have a choice when people talk to you about their hopes and dreams that you can tell them they can't do something or you can spur them on in it. We are called to do good works. God has called to us that we are to run with perseverance. But you and I have a choice this morning. We can be a foot for others to trip on or a shoulder for them to lean on. What are you going to be this morning? What are you choosing? Are you going to be a foot or a shoulder? I hope that you choose to sharpen and spur each other on in the things of God. That is what the church is called for. Let us pray. Prayer team, will you come and stand across the front? I'm just going to ask everybody to close their eyes for a moment. Maybe you're here and you've never been to church before. You've never had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into your life. And so with every eye closed in the room, it's not a thing super spiritual, it's just privacy. If you're here in the room and you want to accept Jesus for the first time, I just want you to raise your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm just going to pray with you. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus for the first time, just raise your hand for a moment. Maybe you're here and you've accepted Jesus before, but you've walked away from him and you've done your own thing for a little while. And this morning you want to get your life back on track and you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, just raise your hand for a moment. I just want to pray with you as well. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anyone else want to join these two? Thank you. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. If you raise your hand, say this prayer from the bottom of your heart and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. This morning I confess I am a sinner and I need you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give a hand to those that accepted Jesus this morning? Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast.
God's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 